Well, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Last time we focused on, on the idea of joy rather than sorrow. The people's uh, immediate reaction when they heard the word of the Lord being Lord, word of the law of the Lord being read was to grieve, because obviously they realised how they had transgressed and failed to to keep God's law. Uh, and that was a, a noble and right thing to do, really, but they were told that actually that's not where their strength lay. Their strength lay not in, in sorrow, but in, in the joy of the Lord. And it was a holy day, and they were to be glad, obviously, of the goods, the God of the Lord's good mercy and character, and smile upon them. Um, well, this time, as I've said, what actually is the joy of the Lord? What does that phrase, what does that phrase mean? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And hopefully, next time, uh, will be, why, how does that make us strong? The joy of the Lord is your strength. But for tonight, for tonight, this wonderful subject, I think, the joy of the Lord. Um, and I want to look, think about three different aspects of what the joy of the Lord is and the first one is, is probably the most obvious one I suppose in a way is that it's godly joy it, it's, it's enjoying things that please God uh, or you can think of it in, in, in many cases enjoying things that you could do with Jesus uh, happily with a clear conscience um, for example, if you were thinking of, if you were th- talking to, with a group of friends and you say, oh, let's, let's go swimming, and um, one of the friends says, oh, no, no, not with, not with Sam. Um, Sam. Sam can't swim. Let's do something different. And, and so you say, oh, let's play tennis. Uh, and someone says, oh, no, not with Trisha. Uh, she has absolutely no coordination. Um, so you, you wouldn't do either of those two things, but you find something else that you could all do, do together as a group, couldn't you? And you could enjoy doing it together. Um, now, that's just a matter of really, I suppose, things like personal preference or actual ability um, and, and, and being friends with one another. But there may, may well be instances where it's not just a matter of personal preference, but it's a matter of, of moral stance. So those of you who, who are believers and seek to, to live consistently with your faith, you may find that sometimes colleagues or friends who are not Christians might actually not invite you to do certain things because they say, well, there's, you know, there's no point inviting him or her because um, they say no anyway uh, because they don't approve of that. It's, it's, they're unhappy doing that. They feel, it, they feel it's wrong to do that sort of thing, go that, that sort of place or engage in that kind of activity and, and that's decision making on the basis of, of a moral stance because they know you wouldn't enjoy it because you believe it to be wrong well I'd like to suggest that seeking the joy of the Lord seeking to live in the joy of the Lord is looking to do things or to find joy in things that the Lord approves of so it's, it's, it's godly godly joy now, it's pretty obvious, really, from our, our passage, because 
you remember, I, I mentioned this last time, that three times in three verses, the, the day is described as holy. Um, verses 9, 10, and 11. Verse 9, the day is holy to the Lord your God. Verse 10, this day is holy to our Lord. And verse 11, this day is holy. So that, obviously, the joy of the Lord had to be something that... Well, I think the point I was trying to make last time was this, that joy can be holy. Um, and, but the nuance of it, to this tonight, is this, that the joy of the Lord must be holy. It has to be holy. It has to be godly. It has to be something that, that, that God um, approves of. Um, and frankly, that's the best kind of joy anyway, really. <laughs> well, it is absolutely the best kind of joy. Other things might deceive you to think that they're fun. But actually, godly joy, the joy of the Lord, is by far, is by far the best. Um, and it's easy to see how this is strengthening. I'm stealing a bit from next time, but isn't it? Because doing the things that we know displease the Lord is obviously going to be debilitating to our spiritual lives. We choose to do things we know God doesn't approve of. It's going to make us spiritually weak, isn't it? And while choosing to do things that do please him, it's going to make us stronger. It's going to do us good. Maybe you could, if you're facing a bit of a conundrum, you know, should I do this or shouldn't I, is it right or is it wrong? You could ask yourself this question. Um, if Jesus were actually here in bodily form, would I say to him, Lord, I'm thinking of going to such and such a place or I'm thinking of doing such and such a thing. Uh, would you like to join in? Would you, would you, and it doesn't work perfectly, I know, because there are some things that... But um, there's, a, there's quite a useful little thing to ask yourself. Now, people say, well, if the Lord, you know, ask yourself, well, if the Lord returned whilst I was doing that, how would I feel? But here's another, another way of trying to answer that question, should I or shouldn't I? Well, if Jesus was actually here in bodily form, could I say to him, do you want to come with me? Now, you might say, well, that's unrealistic, because he isn't here in bodily form. Well, no, I know he isn't, but you know what I'm getting at, don't you? But actually, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time as believers and where we go he goes too and what we what we look at he sees and what we listen to he hears and we also know don't we that it is possible for a Christian to offend the Holy Spirit to grieve the Holy Spirit to quench the Holy Spirit and that would all be an offence against him, wouldn't it? So it's a bit like saying, dragging Jesus along with you somewhere that you know he does not want to go. And that makes you weak. That would make you weak. To grieve the Holy Spirit is a very weakening thing to do for a Christian. The joy of the Lord makes you strong because it's joy you're sharing with Jesus. The joy you're sharing with the Holy Spirit. You're doing it with God. Secondly, I think the joy of the Lord is joy in the Lord. It is, it, is, it is to fill our minds with the goodness of God and rejoice in God himself. You've probably heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. A bit of a mouthful. It's an attempt to summarise Bible teaching in a sort of a question and answer sort of format. And the very first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. 
what is the chief end of man? In other words, what are we here for? And the answer is this, that's given is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I know it's not Bible, but it's a good summary of Bible teaching, on that point at least. And um, man's chief aim, the, re- the, ba- the basic biggest reason why we are here, why we exist, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To be able to go places that he wants to come with us. Do things that you could have done with Jesus while he was here on earth. And be involved in things that do not grieve or offend the Holy Spirit who lives within your life. To enjoy him forever, but also to fill your mind with his goodness and his grace, his love, his mercy and his kindness. I think it's very much what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Think often of the goodness of God to you. That will make you strong. It will give you joy. When you become aware of sin in your life, turn from it quickly, confess it, trust in Jesus for his forgiveness and rejoice in his constant love. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you don't sin, rejoice in his strength and victory. When when you become aware that, actually, I didn't give in to temptation that time. Don't congratulate yourself. Rejoice in the Lord. That he has actually strengthened you and helped you to walk with him in that difficult moment when you actually often would have gone the wrong way, done the wrong thing. When you have some new possession, some, some new experience or some great new benefit, whatever it might be, rejoice in God's goodness to you. See, see it as his provision, his loving kindness towards you and rejoice in the Lord. Don't just enjoy what you've got, but enjoy the giver of it, the ultimate, ultimate giver of it, the Lord himself. You know, we probably, probably, probably all have a custom of giving thanks before we, before we eat. Uh, you know, let's not let that just be a sort of a routine kind of thing we hardly even think about, a bit of a nuisance because we're hungry. But and, and why do we only do it before food, you know? You've got something, something else new to enjoy, or something, something to have and possess, or do, and thank God for it. You don't have to necessarily say it out loud. <laughs> Maybe you could, but you don't have to. Just be, thank God for it. Thank you, Lord, for, for this, you know. This new car. Wow, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, thank, thank God for it. I remember somebody who, who taught me this a long time ago, and he's, he, um, I, had an old, I, had, I had a bit of an old beat-up old bike, and, and he said to me, he said, oh, is that, is, that, is, that your new, is that a new bike? I said, no, it's not. So he said, um, so he said well, I, you know, what I do when I've got my new bike, I just thank the Lord for it. That's the right thing. That's walking with God, isn't it? That is knowing God in a day-to-day, down-to-earth, real-life, realistic this is where I am, this is where I'm at kind of way, isn't it? And, and, and rejoicing in God. Because he, he is your father. The Lord Jesus is your loving big brother who did come to find you and brought you home. Not like that horrible brother in the story we just read. 
The Holy Spirit is your companion through life. Well, walk with God day by day and rejoice in, in the Lord day by day. Don't just have a quiet time, but walk with God as much as you can every day. And see, you'll see, you can see how this will make you strong in the Lord, won't, won't it? Now, as, as I said last time, um, some of us are naturally cheerful people. Um, on the kind of a joy, joy scale or happiness scale, we, we start off up here because that's just the way we are. And um, that some of us are naturally miserable people and we sort of start somewhere, somewhere kind of down here. And maybe, well, I, some of you spoke to me last time, some of us are, are way down below that. I'll disappear if I go down any further, but um, are way down below that. And, you know, so some people have got to be the head start in being happy, contented than others, and some people have real difficulty. Uh, but actually, even just to get off the floor is a wonderful achievement. Um, so how can you, you can't, we're not supposed to judge who's, the most, who's rejoicing in the Lord the most, are we? You know, don't try to judge each other. Because who can say who's rejoicing in the person who started off up here, the person who started off here, or the person who is, sadly, right down there? How, how can you possibly say who's rejoicing in the Lord the most? You can't, and we don't have to. And also, some people respond much quicker to happy things, don't they, or joyful things? You know, they, they zip up really, really quickly and, and cheer up. Some of us are much, much slower. So some, people, some of us, our graph would be kind of like this, because we re- we're very, very reactive kind of people. And others of us are much more sort of like this, you know. Well, you are who you are. And you walk with God. And you you relate to him day by day. And and you rejoice in him in your own way. And we will all be different in that. And it's not for us to try to judge who is rejoicing in the Lord more than anybody else. But then thirdly, and I think this is the most extraordinary concept for us to try to understand it's just absolutely mind-blowing to me is that the joy of the Lord is what it says on the label it is the joy of the Lord it is the Lord's own joy it is the Lord's joy his rejoicing the joy of the Lord is your strength I mean do you think of God as a joyful person Or a stern and angry person. Yes, there's a lot of God's anger in the Bible, and that's not surprising, because God is calling out to people who turn away from Him, people who wrong Him and offend Him. He is calling out in anger, yes but in order to bring us to repentance, to bring us back to himself. There is a lot of God's anger in the Bible, but there is also an amazing amount of God's love in the Bible. And anger and love are not opposites. Uh, Here's one for the children. Younger ones. When your mums and dads are angry with you, if ever they are, if ever they have cause to be, if ever your mums or dads are angry with you, oh, somebody looked up then. (laughs) It does not mean that they don't love you anymore. 
In fact, it's quite probable that the more they love you, the more angry they're likely to get because you mean so much to them. And when you do wrong, it upsets them enormously. And they're at the, the, when they speak in an angry way, it's in order to teach you a lesson and to try to make you a better person. And the more, uh, very likely, the more they love you, the more you will upset them. Now, it doesn't always that work that way. I know there are some horrible parents who are just very, very nasty to their children. But what I'm trying to say is this, that love and anger are not opposite of each other. They do live together. And they live together in God. And he loves with a passionate, passionate love. And he is calling us to repentance. And what happens when a person repents? Luke 15, we read. What happens when just one person repents? That means to change their mind about their way they're going and want to, be a different, want to behave differently and seek to behave differently, better. What happens when just one person repents? Do you remember? Joy in heaven. Joy in heaven. Luke 15, verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. The three stories Jesus told, that was the story, first, first one, the story of the lost sheep. The story of the lost coin, verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So is it just the angels who are joyful? I don't think so. Because the third story that Jesus told, there are characters are the young son who just wanted what he could get from his father and didn't care about his father at all and ran off and wasted, wasted all he had. That's like a person who doesn't, doesn't, doesn't love God, just wants to get what they can and go and do their own thing. Profoundly distressed the father, I'm sure. The older brother, who stayed at home but thought it was totally unfair that the father would receive him back in the way he did, his brother, like the way he did. That, he stands for the Pharisees, who were criticising Jesus. And then there's the father in the story. Now, who do you think the father in the story is supposed to represent? It's obvious, isn't it? It's obviously meant to represent God. And what do we hear the father in the story saying? It was right that we should make merry and be glad. Oh dear! There's an even better verse coming up. I'm struggling already. Amen. <laughs> Let me take a breath. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now, the way the Lord Jesus, you know, would any of would we dare make up a story like that in which we represented God as a father who had a party for his son? Would we dare do that? I, I wouldn't have done. But the Lord Jesus told a story in which the, person, the character in the story who represented God is like the father who has a party for his son who comes home and he said, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. It's not just the angels who rejoice. It's rejoicing among the angels. Where are the angels surrounding the throne? The, the joy in the heart of the Father above. 
when one sinner repents. Now how happy do you think heaven is? Around the world today, how many people have repented? Today. How many, how many people have repented for the first time today around the world, I wonder? Or any, any day of the week? Any day of the week? Around the world? Thousands and thousands and thousands. For the first time, come, come turn to God and say, say I, I have taken what you've given and I have despised you. I turn around. I, I do not deserve your, your love, but I come to receive it. And I thank you for the Lord Jesus who died for me. I trust him and I want to live his way. Thousands of people have probably done that today. Thousands of occasions rejoicing in heaven. I wonder how many Christians have repented today and every day. I, I, I really want to walk more closely with God. I'm determined to do so. I have grown cold in my faith. I want to, I want to be zealous follower of the Lord Jesus. I repent. I wonder how many thousands, millions of Christians have done that today or any day. And what happens in heaven? Joy. In, I, heaven just must be a place of enormous joy, wasn't it? Now, listen to this. You know that I'm, you must know these verses. They are absolutely astonishing. Blow your socks off. Zephaniah three, verses sixteen to seventeen. You know this. Listen to this. In that day, it shall be said in Jerusalem, "Do not fear, Zion. Let let not your hands be weak." The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The joy of the Lord. It is amazing, isn't it? It is amazing to think that Almighty God the Lord rejoices over his people and it can be expressed in this way. He will rejoice over you with singing. Here is the ever, the ever present one who stays, the Lord your God in your midst. The mighty one who saves. Here he is, the, the conqueror who has rescued his people and he rejoices over his victory and he rejoices over the people whom he has rescued. Here is the Lord Jesus who has died in agony upon the cross and who for the, the joy that was set before him despised the cross. Bore the shame because he was the mighty one who was saving and he would gather his people together and every, as every single one of them repented and turned in faith to him he would rejoice over them with singing. Here is the, the, the tender one who soothes. He will quiet you with his love. I, I don't know what picture comes into your mind. I don't, 
I, I, what picture that comes into my mind is a, as a mother or, or, a, or a father cradling a, a, a child in their arms, heart just bursting with love and, and singing lullabies to their child. That's, that's the kind of picture that conjures up in my mind, that language conjures up. In. So you have the mighty conquering victor and you have the tender, loving care. He will quiet you with his love. And you have the joyful one who sings. He will rejoice over you with singing. And you have the faithful one who strengthens. Do not fear. Let not your hands be weak. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There are lots of reasons to become a Christian. Forgiveness. New life. Peace with God. The best life you could possibly live on earth. But here's another one. To bring joy to God. He will, he will rejoice over you with singing. Extraordinary. There are lots of ways, lots of reasons to live as obedient Christians. It is the best possible way to live. It's repentant. You know, keep short accounts with God. Repentant Christians. Keep turning back to the Lord. Keep trusting in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. But here it is a very great one. To bring joy to the Lord. As you turn back to him. And receive more of his love. It is the best way to live. It is the most satisfying way to live. I've heard heard many years ago someone saying. And I think it's so true. The most miserable person on earth. Is a backslidden Christian. Because they, 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 know what they're miss, they know what they're missing. They know what they're doing wrong. They can't really fully enjoy sin. Because they know it's so wrong. How much they're offending their Heavenly Father. But the, but the most joyful person on earth is a, is a zealous Christian. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's the most productive way to live as well anticipating these words that the Lord Jesus uttered. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The best thing of all is to bring joy to the Father and to share that joy with him. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let it be yours. Maybe for the very first time tonight, you turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. I don't want to live my way. I want to live your way. I come to you for forgiveness and a new start. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Let that joy be yours tonight. If you're a 
well, we all are to some degree or another, aren't we, backslidden Christians. None of us are living the life we know we ought to fully. Let us repent of our backslidings. Say, Lord, I want to, I want to walk in your joy. I want to enjoy you. I want to walk with you and bring joy to your heart as I walk closely with you day by day. Let's do that. The joy, the joy of the Lord.